Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Politics without the soap opera. With unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for life, liberty, property, humanity, our right to remain as sentient human beings here at Sierra Podcast. And it is the end of the week, Friday, May 19th. Daniel Horowitz, by the way, back here today at Blaze Media. And the week is going by too fast. We have too much to talk about. I'm almost out of breath because there is just so much injustice going on. But I want to start off by noting a powerful observation about the power of political amnesia. And it's a gift of God. God gave us the power to cope. So we've gone through the last three years of genocide, of everyone's parent or grandparent, senior, dying alone, buried alone, living out the last few years alone, everyone locked down, masked, can't breathe, then experimented upon, injected, you know, with experimented upon with a gain-of-function virus, and gain-of-function is vaccination, by the way, uh, killing people, denying treatment, and then killing millions from the, the shots. And then now, we have questions about what are the long-term effects of these shots, and before we could catch our breath, they are on to the next iteration without any opposition. It's like it never happened. No one cares about this. You won't find anyone else talking about the RSV shots today. And it's a gift of God because the, the, the ability of a human being to cope with adversity is, is astounding. It's unnatural. It's natural, meaning from God in that sense, but unnatural from our sensibilities and what we can see. It's truly a gift of God. But the problem is what that allows a person to do is you, you, you forget right and wrong. You forget the problem and you forget the need to fight and rectify that problem. Deuteronomy 32, 15. And Jeshurun became fat and rebelled. You grew fat, thick, and rotund. Israel forsook the God who made them and spurned the mighty rock of their salvation. <laughs> you forget that God gave you that ability to persevere, but now you got to deal with it. Now you got to turn to Psalms 97, you who love the Lord hate evil. Hate evil. Don't just move on and be happy. Look, you know, I survived COVID. I didn't get the shot. They are about to unleash a jihad that could be even worse than COVID. It's not like maybe five years from now. It's right now they did it. And and we can't seem to marshal opposition, but we're going to do that here. You know, I, I was trying to move on to other issues. But you see with the border too, people already forgot that. The debt ceiling no one's even focused on. It's all the soap opera all the time, but not here. And speaking of preparing for the next genocide, very apropos, we're sponsored today by Jace Medical. They have a new product. We've been talking about the Jace case, which is their supply of five antibiotics. But they also have something called Jace Daily that I want you guys to check up when you go to jacemedical.com. For those of you who have, I mean, everything from mental health drugs to uh, all sorts of chronic long-term conditions, there really is a problem now where people have to worry about getting a timely supply. Um, When the Fourth Reich hits, when the apocalypse hits, we talk about a shortage of food and fuel, there will absolutely be a shortage of medication. Ready, 21 of 36 vital medicines are uh, in shortage. So... They have a full panoply of drugs from blood pressure to, again, heart health, up to 12 months of a backup supply. So, again, you go to jacemedical.com. Same thing with the Jace case that you fill out a, uh, a survey. They'll give you a licensed prescription, and you'll have the peace of mind gained by having this kind of long-term supply of vital medications when when you need it. 
That's Jace Medical, J-A-S-E Medical.com. Enter code REVIEW for a special discount at the checkout. So yesterday, Verbeck, this uh, you know, advisory committee to where is this? Advisory committee to the FBA, FDA, they met. And unbelievably, unbelievably, they approved Pfizer's shot. Okay? I couldn't believe it. We talked about this, how there's signals for preterm birth, low weight birth. The GSK shot, which is almost identical, it's a joke. This is the game they play. They shuffle around the safety signals in, in, in each one, but not the other. So you don't have one with a ton of them. And then it's like, well, GSK was pulled. How is Pfizer's okay? But this is for pregnant women to take for RSV. And it was approved. It was approved 10 to 0 on efficacy, but 10 to 4 on safety. They have two separate votes. Now, efficacy, of course, because they just look at the data, and it's everything's 90% effective. Obviously, it's made up. Fauci himself said a few months ago, we don't even have respiratory viral vaccines that could stop transmission. So that in itself is just a total lie. Um, it's a lie about you know critical illness too. But I just want you to understand, we have a plethora of data from CDC, FDA, Pfizer's own documents, European Medicines Agency, all over, 3,500 case studies, thousands of, of, of academic studies, that they knew at the time they developed it and every, every stage thereof, thereafter that it causes all these things. And they fabricated every facet of their data. We also know that we've never been able to come up with an RSV vaccine for 50 years, and there's obvious reasons why. We've learned all of these inherent problems, particularly with respiratory viral vaccines, and without batting an eyelash, the same company could come along and say, I got more trials for you on RSV. And they're going to take every pregnant woman. They've been gunning this for this for years and say, go get it. But what's amazing is that it was 10 to 4. And even then, they were only able to get a pass because they put in four new temporary members that appeared out of nowhere. And all the temps approved it. But four voted no, and one of them was Dr. Paul Offit, who is probably the most well-known child vaccinologist. He's the inventor of the rotavirus vaccine. He's from Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. He was all in the tank, totally in this. But then, towards the end, if you noticed, he started voting against the some additional boosters, voting against the baby shots for COVID, and he started doing interviews and speaking out, and based on what he was willing to say publicly, you got to believe privately he's even more concerned. He voted against this. And that's a very big deal because if you're Paul Offit, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, RSV, you're a vaccinologist for children. RSV is like the Super Bowl. You wanted that for years. And it's unreal. They found a 50 to 20% more preterm births and low birth weight babies from the mothers who were jabbed. Um relative to placebo, just in Pfizer's own fake data. Remember, GSK had, had to suspend their trial. This is from Dr. Meryl Nass on her Substack. She watched it yesterday. How many American babies die from RSV, which affects them mainly between ages one and six months? Caused mostly cold, but causes bronchiolitis, pneumonia, and similar low-risk infections that can require hospitalization. As a consequence of the 21st Century Cures Act of 2016, all vaccines recommended by CDC for pregnant women have all manufacturer liability waived and are placed in the National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program. How many children die from RSV? She dug up the data from CDC death certificates. Over a 12-year period, 300 had it on the death certificate. 300. Okay? So that's 25 per year. And yet they're rushing something that they know is problematic. Again, a mother died in the GSK um, 
trial that Pfizer admitted or GSK admitted is likely from the vaccine. Um, they found that the mothers in the trial had a much higher rate of pre-eclampsia or eclampsia. These are, you know, types of seizures. And so in the mother was straight up there. Now in the babies, there were more than twice as many deaths in the placebo group, which they don't disclose. So what's that from? So clearly they were playing around and had some sort of sicker cohort. So the whole thing is fraudulent. Um, but there's all sorts of issues with it interfering with the other vaccines. The mothers were not followed long enough to see if they developed medical conditions later. One mother who developed a lot of pain after a shot was diagnosed with lupus nine months later. So again, same, same paradigm, no follow-up. And she notes that when you're studying newborns, just because they're full-term and of normal birth weight, you don't really know whether the vaccine has caused developmental delays, cognitive effects, or motor problems. Did the FDA stuff the meeting with four new temp members in order to get the majority? Yes, voted it wanted. That's pretty, I'm just going to tell you, when you, they almost, as you saw with COVID, they do everything unanimously. And COVID was a genocide. It was straight up. I mean, you couldn't even miss it. And they all voted for it. So when you have four members, which is really almost half of the permanent members, including probably the most prominent one voting no, that's really bad. But it will go on to CDC and the full FDA and CDC director to be approved. You will have every senior and pregnant woman pressured to get this by the end of the summer, if not now. I cannot think of a more urgent, imminent pro-life issue than this. Straight up genocide. Again, we wonder why kids are born crazy. All these developmental issues and autoimmune and allergies and autism. The mental health. And, and obviously there's multiple factors in that. But after everything we've learned from the misfiring of antibodies, and that's what they do. They just check antibody levels. Um, Peter McCullough put out something about an Italian autopsy on someone who died of COVID, fully vaccinated during Delta, and they found the antibodies there. They, they don't, antibodies don't indicate efficacy, but they do often indicate safety problems. Antibodies are not good, categorically. Antibodies are weapons. They could be turned against you. It's got to be done right. It's got to be done with finesse. God created a system that does that. Can we possibly replicate that? Maybe, but not with 50 million shots produced every year, one after another. No, that's going to be a problem. So they're doing this out in the open, but not really because no one follows this. And I understand in the past who follows a Verbeck hearing, but after this was the biggest issue of our lifetime, you would think like, hey, warp speed, now we're warping the speed on something that we know is the most problematic genre of vaccination, there is zero backstop. Zero. So I can tell you I've been working in the background to try to alert people and whatever, but this this is unreal. Unreal. But I want to take this to the next level with a very special guest today, understanding what went wrong, one of the aspects that's forgotten about with the COVID vaccines and contamination particularly the mRNA, and what that portends for long-term health for those who got the shot and all the other mRNAs they have in the pipeline. Today's interview is sponsored by our friends at Patriot Academy. Folks, if you want to learn how to shoot like a pro, draw from the holster, clear malfunctions, defend yourself, in the ever-increasing likelihood you'll be confronted with uh, one of these jailbreak punks, Go to patriotacademy.com slash Daniel and join us on our next constitutional defensive handgun training in Fredericksburg, Texas at their new campus. Rick Green offers his constitution coach at, uh, a course at night and all day we're out on the range with Patriots shooting. They have every two weeks now 
three-day and five-day courses. I recommend the five-day, of course, because it takes a couple days for the training to click. Um, but, you know, if you only have time to take off from work for three days, I understand. Um, throughout the summer, um, some of you have asked about the heat. Yeah, it does get hot down there. They are going, they're likely going to, especially for July, to do it at night with floodlights. It's going to be a lot of fun, so it's a lot cooler at night. Um, I will likely be at one of them soon. I'll let you know, but but uh, see what works best for you. And those of you in Texas have no excuse, by the way. You could drive there, um, carry your guns and ammo with you. If you're flying, too, you could carry a gun, but you're limited on the ammo, so they, they offer it for purchase there. Again, patriotacademy.com slash Daniel. So as we talk about the next genre of experimentation upon the American people, again, subsidized and funded, indemnified by our government, violating all market principles, violating all Nuremberg uh, Code of Ethics principles, we still have not even scraped the surface in fully understanding what went on in the first iteration of experimentation with the COVID shots. We have obviously talked a lot about the spike protein. We've talked a lot about the mRNA and the lipid nanoparticles. But I believe Pfizer's own CEO said that there's something like 270 ingredients in it. And we still don't really know what these things look like and what sort of variance exists between different vials, quality control. Heck, maybe it's a good thing to not have quality control because you have more of a chance of not having toxins, but who knows? But the point is, there's a lot going on there. Now, a couple months ago, I read an article to you about research that was done that actually tried to take a look at these vials and test them for contaminants. And one of them, by our next guest, Kevin McKernan, seemed to find these DNA plasmids left over as kind of the, you know, because mRNA is the byproduct of, of this DNA sequencing. And they found levels in there that are very concerning, that raise concerns about the long-term ability to produce more, you know, spike protein factories and just the fact that there's zero concern to engage in any quality control. But it was highly technical, and obviously I'm not qualified to talk about it. So we have with us the, the author of that study, Kevin McKernan himself. He's chief science officer and founder of Medicinal Genomics. He has many years of experience in revolutionary sequencing technologies. So again, he's well-versed in, in gene therapy. He's a microbiologist and expert in gene decoding has done important work on studying DNA contamination in these COVID shots. So nobody is more qualified to explain this in, in plain language than Kevin himself. So with no further ado, Kevin, it is a true honor to bring you here for the first time to Blaze Media. Well, thank you for having me, Daniel. It's an important topic because I think the vast majority of the public is not aware of how slipshod the manufacturing is on these vaccines. Sure. So, so could you explain, obviously, people by now, at least my audience understands the mRNA and the dangers and, and all of the safety signals we've seen from them. Um, we, we now have 3,500 case studies uh, running the gambit about 24 different organ systems and health conditions. But you discovered DNA plasmids in Moderna's vials. Could you just take as much time as you need to explain, you know, why you looked at this, what are plasmids, how they get in there, and, and why they're concerning? Uh, certainly. So there, it's in both Moderna and Pfizer's, uh, and we looked at uh, the bivalent vaccines and the for both Moderna and Pfizer and, all, and only the monovalent vaccines for Pfizer. We didn't have access to monovalents for Moderna. But uh, in all three cases of Pfizer's monovalent and bivalent and Moderna's bivalent, there is double-stranded DNA contamination in, in the vaccines. If you sequence that DNA, you'll find that it matches uh, what looks to be an expression vector that's used to make the RNA. Uh, so in order for these folks to scale up the synthesis of these mRNAs to hit billions of arms, um, they had to change the manufacturing mid-trial. Uh, so actually halfway through the, the, the trials that were all given these fictitious numbers of 95% efficacy, they changed the method of manufacturing these to from, from chemical synthesis of the RNA to manufacturing them inside E. coli. So they get E. coli to absorb a DNA plasmid, which expresses uh, and many, many copies of the DNA. 
so they first want lots of copies of DNA that they can then transcribe RNA off of that DNA. Uh, and Nicole, I agreed at doing this. You put a plasmid in there, it makes a couple hundred copies of the plasmid. They replicate every 20 minutes. So overnight, you can get billions, if not trillions, of, of Xerox copies of the template that you need to make this RNA from. The challenge is getting rid of that RNA and getting that RNA cool. uh, so, so, and so DNA. Kevin, Kevin let, let's slow it down. You're really smart. Um, I want everyone to understand this. So let's take it each tranche at a time. So, so before we talk about the problem, you're just saying the rationale for even using DNA um, the fact is, where do you get the mRNA strands from that are numerous enough that you could scale up to, what was it? I mean, uh, um, there's several billion. Billions uh, of arms. Yeah, billions of shots. Yeah, billions of do. arms, you know, and, two, 13 billion doses or something in that ballpark between all of them. I mean, that, that includes AstraZeneca, but we're talking about billions. So you're saying, forget about, you know, science for a minute. It's a manufacturing issue. So that's where the science comes in. And you're saying that, E. coli plasmids were the best vectors for that? Yes. Yeah, those are the easiest things to grow. Um, If you need to grow grams to kilograms amounts of DNA, it gets done in in, uh, in E. coli. Uh, Now, there are challenges in growing things in E. coli is that you have to get your DNA out of the E. coli uh, and also get rid of the DNA when you're done making RNA. And those two steps are areas that I think are lacking a lot of um, transparency. When, when you want to get DNA out of E. coli and you crack open the E. coli to get it, you have now uh, contaminated your DNA with all types of endotoxin from the actual E. coli. Now, pharma should be testing for endotoxin levels, but from all the EMA documents and, and other FOIA requests people put forward, it's not clear to me how they're testing for that uh, or what levels they're, um, they're, they're finding. Whenever, whenever we see DNA contamination, like from plasmids ending up in any injectable, the first thing people think about is whether there's any E. coli endotoxin present because that creates anaphylaxis if you inject it. And, of course, you're probably, you viewers and listeners are aware, there's a lot of anaphylaxis going on, not only on TV, but like in the VARES database. You can see people get injected with this in this drop. Uh, that could be background uh, from this E. coli process of manufacturing the DNA. Um, so that's a separate topic on LPS and endotoxin. I don't want to go into that just yet, but just getting enough of this DNA to make the RNA is a challenge. And they had to change midstream in their, in their, in their trial uh, to ramp up production. Uh, and so the trial is actually somewhat confounded with the fact that some of the participants in the trial were, were given one manufacturing method and other ones were given this mm-hmm. plasmid-based manufacturing. Um, which is, uh, I think, is something you'll see more, more and more news on in, in the coming coming weeks. So, so you tested it, and you were thinking, wait a minute, who's to say you got out the DNA that you uh, you know used to to formulate it? It's not a perfect analogy, but I picture you know if you want to make egg salad, there's nothing more disgusting than eating shells in the eggs. So you got to make yeah. sure you get out yeah. the shells. <laughs> And, yeah, you know, well, so you want the eggs, yeah. you, you have to get the shell out. So I mean, it's not exactly a perfect analogy, but you, you want to get that stuff out. So you're like, wait a minute, do you guys really do that? So you got a hold of a bunch of vials, you tested it. Can you talk about what you found? Uh, so what we found, we, we weren't actually looking for this, uh, but what we did end up finding after sequencing these, uh, we were sequencing the RNA to see if they made any errors making the RNA, and lo and behold, a bunch of DNA came through that wasn't supposed to be there. Sequencing that encoded the, the plasmid vector uh, that they're using. And now that plasmid vector contains a lot of other parts. Uh, it has an antibiotic resistance gene, which makes the plasmid res- gives the E. coli resistance to antibiotics that you can grow only the E. coli that have the plasmid. And it also has, uh, at least in the Pfizer side of things, it has what's known as an SV40 promoter. Uh, this is an oncogenic virus uh, piece from an oncogenic virus. It's not the entire virus. However, this small piece is known to drive very aggressive gene expression. Uh, and the concern that people, even at the FDA, have made note in, in the past whenever injecting uh, double-stranded DNA is that these things can then integrate into the genome. Uh, if you're not careful on, uh, on how you manufacture these things and you have excess amounts of this DNA, the concern for genome integration goes up. Uh, there's probably been a lot of discussion throughout the last few years about whether or not the mRNA gets turned into DNA and then, and then integrates in the genome. Yes. Uh, it's, it, all, it all rests on this, like, reverse transcriptase argument. And there's been a couple of interesting papers that have shown that the virus can do it from, from Rudy Janesh's lab at the Whitehead. There's been some work from Marcus Alden out in Sweden on this as well, or Switzerland, 
that looks at the actual Pfizer vaccine being reverse transcribed in cancer liver cells. And everyone's written that off saying those are liver cells. It doesn't matter. Uh, however, you don't need reverse transcriptase if you're injecting direct DNA. It's already turned into DNA. And so the integration risks go up uh, dramatically if you're injecting So, so a lot of DNA. people are confused, just, just to kind of slow that down, that, you know, there's a question whether mRNA reverse transcribes into DNA. And we have that Swedish paper we've talked about. But you're saying a lot of people don't know that the mRNA is derived from DNA expression. And if that is mixed into the shot, well, you're getting the DNA straight. So that in itself would be would be a, a, a real, you know, that, that would be a smoking gun. So do I have this straight that you found that the contamination of the mRNA vaccines with DNA um, is up to 35%? So that depends on how you measure it. Uh, now, this is a, there's a new um, there's a new base inside of this vaccine. I'm sure your audience is aware of. They had to modify the mRNA so that it wouldn't break down. It's got N N1 methylpseudouridine. As a result of that, a lot of the tools we use in genomics are a little bit confused differentiating DNA and RNA. So there's a couple of platforms out there that use uh, intercalating dyes that come to numbers like that as high as 30. percent um, However, a, a thing that might be more conservative, perhaps uh, if you, want, if you want to do the most conservative approach and give the pharmaceutical companies the benefits of doubt, use something like quantitative PCR that only measures the DNA from the plasmid and nothing else, no E. coli, nothing else. Uh, and, of course, that's what everyone in, in the world is kind of familiar with. They've used qPCR for, for, for monitoring this pandemic. If you run this through qPCR, you'll get something that's at a CT score of around 20. Now, for those familiar with the pandemic, you were probably getting called positive for a CT less than 40. Um, yes. There's big controversy over that because it's very late. Well, the difference between 20 and 40 is a millionfold. All right, so they're willing to inject you with a contaminant that's a millionfold higher than what you might get outside of your mucosa burial on your nose for a virus. All right? You were considered, uh, so, you know, forced to quarantine based on that yes. level of presence of virus, but you're saying you found in the vials. A level of of what E. coli or 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 DNA plasmid? It's, it's plasmid. It's plasmid that is replicates in E. coli, and you know we don't yet mm. know if it's full length plasmid, but we do know it's plasmid sequence. When we sequence this DNA, we can tell that it's derived from the plasmid. But the you know the sequencing process tends to break the DNA up into smaller pieces, so we can't tell you what percent of the DNA is full length and circular. But that doesn't really matter to the FDA. The FDA and the EMA don't have any requirements about the length of the DNA. They just want to have it be, uh, if, it's, if there's 330 nanograms per milligram of DNA, uh, then that's above the limit. Um, there's a good article for folks to um, read in on this called from Keith Pedden from the FDA, P-E-D-E-N. Uh, he does a lot of work um, assessing how much double-stranded DNA is actually tolerable in these types of injections. And this is where some of these, where they zero in on some of these numbers. In all cases of how we measure this, the vials that we've had access to are above the limits. Uh, and even in oh, the EMA's nice. own documentations, yeah, but above the limits of 330 nanograms per milligram. Now, if, if you look into and, and the EMA... And your findings are the, confirmed by the EMA? Well, you, well you, I shouldn't say they've confirmed our exact findings, but if you actually read what Pfizer gave to the European Medicines Agency, they showed them 10 lots of data on, on what their, their numbers were. And they had some lots in there that, that were satisfactory. There were one, milli, one nanogram per milligram. They had other lots that were 815 nanograms per milligram. So it varied by 815-fold just in the 10 lots that they gave to the EMA. Uh, and 815 is obviously well over 330. All right. So even in the data that, that Pfizer could cherry pick and hand to the FDA, they could not get these numbers under control. Uh, and I think that's what uh, should worry everybody is that we've only surveyed a few lots. If you went and surveyed 10 lots, you would probably find a tenfold variance, maybe even an 800-fold variance in these numbers, because that's at least the variance that we can see inside the documentation they've given regulatory agencies. So, so based on what you're saying, it's not just an issue of likely uh, uh, the the DNA plasmids. It's that there's no quality control, so there could be a huge variance in a lot of different um, components of the shot. Do you think this is one of the reasons behind the big confounding question as to you know there's so many things that are dangerous about this, and indeed we see with fares and VSAFE and all the studies it affects every organ system. 
and people are crushed for life. People are dead from it. But then, you know, there are people that got five of these things that at least as of now, um, they, they, they appear to be okay. Is that, does that have to do with the variance of the vials? I suspect so. There's, there's very little quality control, very little transparency, and some people are probably getting blanks, and some people are probably getting vaccines that have a tremendous amount of contaminant in them. And uh, tracking that's going to What does that mean? Oh, I think in the process of, of making these things, they, they have to blend up these, li- these lipid nanoparticles with DNA. And that process isn't, if it's not completely homogeneous, you can get some shots that effectively have very little nucleic acid and other ones that have a uh, wow. very high concentration of them. Uh, and so I shouldn't say blanks, but just low, uh, you know, very, yeah. you know, very low, uh, in which case they're, um, they're not really getting exposed to expression of toxic spike protein. And, um, and, you know, there, it's, 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 it's an open question as to how much of this you actually need to, to, to stimulate immune response. Whenever you have a vaccine antigen that is, in fact, uh, you know, pathogenic, you, you arguably want as little of that as possible. Uh, and the way in which they settled on 30 microgram doses was somewhat um, uh, done warp speed. So uh, it's quite possible that they're, you know, overexposing. If you'll notice over time, they're lowering the dose constantly throughout time. I think they recognize they have been injecting people with too much of this stuff. Um, so the, 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 the bivalence uh, coming out less, the, when they go to lower age categories, they're using less. When you look at um, you know, vaccines that they're talking about in the future, they keep talking about using you know, smaller and smaller quantities of these RNAs. So um, uh, I, I think they know there's an issue. Uh, they're, they're, just, um, you know, they're just adjusting these uh, as, they, as they move through time. Well, we're the new lab rats, I guess. Um, you yeah, know, you, you, you approve it and distribute it first and then study it later. Um, so I want to get to a punchline for people, you know, what this means, this concern that you're finding what universally should be regarded as, as uh, alarming levels of DNA plasmids. So in terms of the realm of potential concerns, so antibiotic resistance, anaphylaxic shock, what else? Well, there are papers out there suggesting um, and demonstrating that double-stranded uh, DNA injections can be prothrombotic. Uh, so your immune system can go on fire and create some clots. And, of course, that's, the, that's all over the various database uh, of, of thrombosis. You're saying divorce so, from the spike protein. Divorce, is yeah. Spike protein is, is, your own, is one problem. Um, having double-stranded DNA in there will further exacerbate that. If that double-stranded DNA, for any reason, is a canary for in the coal mine of, of this endotoxin being present as well. The spike protein has a bunch of features in it that actually uh, tend to, to um, agglutinate uh, these endotoxins and collect them and, and exacerbate clotting reactions. Okay, So the combination of all three of these things, if there's any potential endotoxin, which again, we don't have data for, but we're very suspect it could be there because when you see plasma DNA showing up, its nearest neighbor is always this endotoxin. Um, but we know there's DNA in there, and uh, we know the spike protein can get expressed and create these clotting. So we've got, a, we've got at least two things and maybe three things that could be driving thrombosis that are in these shots. Um, now, you, I, I want to make it clear these... that... Yeah. Or, go, go. Well, I just want to be clear that if they switch this antigen to something that's not as nasty as spike, we're still not in the clear. All right? Like, there's some talk of them moving to nucleocapsid and a few other areas of this, of this virus to make some type of, yeah. you know, coordinary shot. Um, I don't think that's going to clear us of the risks of the, of, of the LPS uh, or of using these lipid nanoparticles or this double-stranded DNA connection. Those, those issues seem to be part and parcel with this particular platform that they've not yet addressed. There's probably ways to clean them up, but there doesn't seem like they're motivated to do it. No, why should they be? No one's, there's no uh, liability. So, um, you know, th- th- this is ex- you're giving the scientific rationale for why you know, you need to have liability like you have in every other product. So the market forces force them to um, make a safer product. Obviously, they have no desire to do that. And what's also important, we've, we've talked a lot about the RSV shots and Moderna's is going to be an mRNA version. So you're going to have those potential problems, even if they don't utilize the spike. I mean, I know Dr. McCullough has said the proteins he thinks they're utilizing might even be more problematic. But again, putting that aside, you have this issue of how do you derive the 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 RNA and you're saying this double-stranded DNA contaminants are a problem um, and then again it could be a drive aggressive gene expression we don't know the ramifications of that but you know it's not our job to prove 100% it's doing it it's their job to 
rule it out before you put it's it in those bodies. Um, yes, yeah, so, and I think that yeah. and it, it's something that's addressable. There are technologies out there that can erase this DNA. I think they've just uh, wandered into new territory here because they have these modified nucleotides. Some of the enzymes they use to erase this DNA aren't functioning properly because that other strand is present. Uh, it's very they, these N one methylpseudouridines are very very sticky bases and they tend to stick to the DNA. So you end up with these these DNA RNA hybrids that the enzymes don't recognize and they don't end up erasing the DNA like they should. Uh, so this is probably something they can address with different nucleases, but we're never forced to address. So it will remain in the future shots unless it gets really brought brought to bear that they have to get rid of the stuff. Uh, it is a genome integration risk. That is from the FDA, not from my mouth. All right. So they are concerned about having high levels of DNA in vaccines because they can integrate. And to the extent that there is an SV40 promoter in that DNA and that starts integrating into your genome, you're pretty much just like bombing your genome with promoters that can potentially that turn look? on the gene expression. It, 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 it can look like cancer. It can look like cancer uh, in that you can end up getting an SV40 promoter in front of an oncogene and you will end up with high expression of uh, a gene that can drive cancer. It will be a very rare event, but you don't need many of these cells to, to be hit with something like this in order for it to take off. So um, at cancer risks and genome integration with SV40, SV40 actually plagued, um, granted it was the full viral genome, not just the promoter, but this has plagued previous vaccine programs. Um, it, it's, you know, the polio vaccine was one of them that they were concerned that this may have contributed to cancer from that vaccine. So uh, there's a history of being concerned over SV40 and having the promoter inside some of these vectors doesn't seem to be necessary. It seems to be superfluous oversight they could have, they could have eliminated. Yet it's still there uh, because they, they ran this out the door so quickly they didn't really have time to, you know, get rid of superfluous parts of the plasmid. Uh, so that piece of DNA is really something I, I think people need to pay attention to. Um, we've made quantitative PCR assays to hunt for this. So there are several researchers around the globe that are now running these assays to look for how much of this DNA is floating around at, after people have been vaccinated. You've seen a lot of studies of people picking up this, this RNA 28 days or 60 days later, but oftentimes those methods don't discern RNA from DNA. They detect both. And so it could have been mm -hmm. that this is the, the DNA that's actually sticking around and they're seeing DNA in the breast milk and DNA in the plasma uh, many weeks later. So we have to get our handle on how much of this is DNA versus RNA and all the people that have, you know, long vax or long COVID. Uh, and some of these you, tools, you mean, I think, will you help mean we're in the pre-trial the pre-trial phase after uh, 5 billion people got this. Um, yes, we've got the order flipped, you're right. <laughs> We're the figuring out and... the buyer distribution after we gave it to everybody. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and only thanks to you. I mean, uh, there, there seems to be no interest. Um, I mean, I'm sure they've done tests on it, but they won't disclose them. Um, it's interesting. There's an article in New Scientist recently, Cancer Mystery. Cancer Mystery is cases rise among younger people around the world. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's obviously a real head scratcher. Yeah, real head scratcher, just like uh, the WHO declared a problem with myocarditis in, in the UK. Of course, they bl blamed it on enterovirus, but, you know, it's, it's a lot of these coincidences taking place. I wanted to, I, I got to ask you this. Um, am I off base here? Or is this a big problem? If you have a lot of DNA floating around, is there a concern? So, a lot of people have been wondering, why it seems like in many parts of the world, the excess deaths got even worse in 2022. And like, for example, was it Taiwan? I forgot which country I just looked at. You know, it, it had its worst excess deaths just a couple months ago when the take-up of the vaccine has gone down to nil. And it's been that way for quite some time. So there's this question about, okay, what does this thing do to you long term? Is there a concern that the DNA can create a Trojan horse spike factory over time that could produce more mRNA that will you know, tell your body to produce more spike? God, I don't know, a year or two years, three years after yeah. you got the shot. That's, that is certainly true. It's a possibility. So, so far, the few vials that we've looked at, the DNA has been fairly fragmented and, and small in length. So I don't think you get full spike expression from what we mm -hmm. have seen. However, as I've mentioned before, we've only scanned a few of these vials. Uh, and from what we've looked up in, I think there's a website that looks at how bad is my shot. We're not necessarily working with the, the most notorious lots. Uh, so it's possible that some of the other lots have, have more intact mm -hmm. DNA. Why can't you get a hold of them? Could have, 
Well, we, we've only been able to get things that are expired. I think, I think there's probably some ethical concerns with people, and we're not going, we don't want to encourage anyone to ship us stuff that's stolen. Um, but, uh, you know, the stuff that goes in the trash, people can sequence. Um, but if you know, so you're you're it's not so simple. You, it's not like you could call up the FDA and say, "Hey, you know, I'd like to test a hundred vials from this lot." I I would be very suspected to even pick up the phone. They seem to be completely <laughs> toned up to everything else going on on this topic. So, um, uh, yeah, you know, they're, they're not going to the help out. Like, but. A lot of people, and, and this has been the problem for three years, people like you will come along and pioneer a study that's very concerning on some aspect of this. Now, it doesn't conclusively prove you know, all of the implications of it, but it certainly shows that this is something that you really need to jump on. And they'll be like, well, you didn't show this or this. Well, yeah, we don't have access to it, but you do. So you have an obligation to take it to the next level. And of course they don't, at least not publicly, and don't disclose it. Um, yes. Do you believe it's a concern that, again, moving away from the plasmid DNA stuff, um, just in terms of just general variants, I mean, we're talking a lot about the RSV shots and the new flu shots they want to do and, and Nipa, Zika, and we could talk about a million different prima facie problems with the pursuit of those vaccines and the way they're doing it. But just in general, I never thought in my life that I had to trust quality control of something this consequential to the human body. But based on what you're telling me, why shouldn't this be a problem with a, a, an array of ingredients that they put in the RSV shot? Anything that has a va- that has a liability waiver, you should always question uh, quality <laughs> control because what that is giving them is a hall pass in doing any of it. Uh, and uh, and there's going to be no one responsible for monitoring it once it goes out the door. Um, once Once the FDA gets on board with something, uh, there's some psychological, um, I think, block for them to reverse. I mean, look how long it took them to reverse Vioxx. It was five years, right? And the market knew there was a problem long before the FDA finally got off the rest and did something about it. So um, the same is going to be true with any vaccine that comes through that has, has a liability waiver. Vioxx didn't have a liability waiver, and it was still wrong. All right. So um, I think the whole, you know, the population should be pay close attention to that. And, and to your point about um, the burden of proof and where it falls. Well, you, you know, the, the number one critique front of the work is it's not through peer review. I'd be surprised if it gets through peer review, not because of the quality of the work, but because the journals just don't accept this type of stuff. Most of yep. the journals have pharmaceutical funding. So the best thing you yep. can do in an environment like that is produce assays and methods that people can reproduce. Uh, very cheaply and quickly, because the science isn't about peer review, it's about reproduction. If, you, if other people can reproduce your work in another country, um, then science moves forward. Uh, you, peer review, most people don't realize, no one picks up a pipette in peer review. They just sit around a, a table and opine whether they believe your work or not. All right, But re, rubber meets the road with reproduction. So what we've done, what we've been very careful to do, is to publish all of our methods, put them transparently on the web so anyone can copy these PCR primers and replicate the work in a matter of weeks. We've got now a couple labs around the world that are starting to do that. So we've seen some evidence from a group in Europe that has reproduced the sequencing of the monovalent uh, vaccines. They shared the sequence with us. They're in the process of publishing it. And they saw the same thing. The SP40 promoters are in there, and there's, in fact, DNA present. Uh, There's a group in Japan that's doing some of this as well. They've also seen uh, very low CT scores, suggesting high amounts of DNA contamination. So um, it's beginning to occur in a much more decentralized manner. Uh, and I think that's what people should keep their eye on is can people reproduce this, ignore whether the journals, you know, whether they bless this or not, because even if it gets through peer review, there'll be a mob that will attack it and try and get it retracted. Um, and that's, that's not, that's not the scientific method. Scientific method is all about reproduction. Yeah. No. And, and that's the, I'm glad you mentioned that. Cause it's not just about the li- liability waiver. It's that, the, the most powerful governments of the universe, beginning with our own government, they have embedded in all aspects of society, medicine, um, and academia, the funding, the censorship, the boot of the government to monopolize the, the, the marketplace and the public square to ensure that there is no quality control. Meaning, meaning even without the formal... Uh, liability waiver you add it to all of that you know what other product is funded and promoted and distributed by government this much and then a separate pot of money funding and promoting everything down from the you know associate whatever you know pediatric uh whatever's and the college of obgyns and 
up and down the totem pole, there is literally yeah. no ability to to stop this. I mean, it's very centralized. We need to decentralize the NIH. I mean, look at what they did with the, the whole pandemic origin story, right? They they they, they changed the narrative there because they had some some central control and were able to you know promote this zoonosis uh, fraud. Uh, and then you can even look at the there's, there's the Jiang paper is the one that demonstrated nuclear localization of this thing and potentially you know in, impacting P53 and BRCA1 it had a cancer risk right. They, they, there's someone in the government um, getting his last name. It's Eric. Uh, I'll have to point you to your your listeners to a, to a link afterwards. But but basically um, some employees at the NIH went and attacked this paper and got it retracted. And then people FOIAed their emails and they had 450 emails with this author's name in it, 450 pages of emails. Uh, and they were all redacted. All right. So there's a, there's a whole story on the Jiang paper on how they went out and killed a paper that was for, for illegitimate reasons. I've read the paper and the, the, the reasons for retraction are illegitimate. One of the authors disagrees with the retraction, as he should. Uh, and it was basically an inside government hit job on a, on a paper to get it torn down. So, um, you know, the truth isn't going to come out through their channels. It's going to come out through channels like way, yours and alternative. Yeah. Based on what you're uh, saying, and, and, I don't know if you saw this yesterday. It's all the more scary the fact that despite all this censorship, Dr. Paul Offit, who's perhaps the most notorious uh, child vaccinologist, he and three others on Verbeck voted against the Pfizer Harris V shot. Um, that's a pretty big deal, and that, that's got to be really bad for because they they yeah. rarely have dissent, um, and that yeah, that Paul's really been, does scare me. Been changing his tune, which is which is uh, people should pay very close attention to that he's been obviously very pro vax his entire career. Uh, he's a benefactor of the entire system, and even he is seeing that this has gone way too far. Yep. Uh, and yep. that and if he's the, willing you know, the to say that publicly, you better believe privately. There's a lot more where that came from. If this is what he's willing to say publicly, because I mean, this thing is, I mean, you know, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a doctor. I'm a political guy. I know politics. And I've, you know, I say controversial things, get involved in things. I have never seen more of a viciousness um, than, I mean, I mean, you, you could, you could like wave a Confederate flag and, and you won't be attacked as much as, as for uh, questioning vaccines. I mean, this is the Holy Grail. And this is just really scary, even if they shut off all the shots. But the fact that they're doubling down on warp speed and they're ready on to the next, your research is very important. Um, exit question. What could people expect from you in the coming months and where could they find your work? Well, our work is uh, you'll find most of my work either on Twitter or Substack. Uh, the Substack is uh, is Anandamind is my handle there. And the Substack is the Petalactone newsletter. Uh, Petalactones, I know it's a long word, but it's, it's catnip. It's, it's the actual uh, it's the active ingredient in catnip. So that's the way to find it. Um, so all of the methods that we that we published are up there. Um, I work at medicinal genomics, which has nothing to do with, with, with QCing vaccines. This was a bit of an accident that we ran into this and felt like we had to put it public. Um, but nonetheless, our, our efforts are, on focus, are focused on bringing sequencing and genomics into medicinal, medicinal plants and fungi markets because we believe the way to basically defang this pharma cartel is to actually get natural medicines that you can grow in your backyard to be better qualified, understood, and sequenced. So we produce a lot of safety monitoring tools in the cannabis and in philosophy space. Uh, and those are, those are markets that you're seeing some medical legalization decentralized out of the FDA and into dispensaries. And we think that's a, a safer and a more appropriate model for medicines that we know have extraordinarily uh, favorable safety profiles. Uh, putting them through, through the FDA is only going to make them more expensive and probably, uh, you know, chronify them into a few, a few people who can sell them. Um, so our, that's, that's our expertise. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen next on this. I'm involved in a fair number of lawsuits right now about this topic. Uh, right now, there's not much more that we can do other than surveying more vials. But right now, we are trying to send out reagents to anyone who wants to replicate this so that we can get a better survey of what, other, what, what the vial-to-vial yeah. variance is in the field. Because right now, we have such a, uh, you know, a, a narrow view on this. It's just a few vials. And, of course, the major critique people have about the vials that we have surveyed are that uh, we don't have providence over them and they're expired, right? So what does this look like in, in vials that you can get directly from, from CVS or directly from, uh, from pharma that are within their expiration range? Um, that's, still, uh, that's still an unknown. Uh, for those who have critiqued the work uh, about these being expired vials, I will um, 
remind everyone that they were sealed vials, so they were not tampered with. And uh, the vector that we found, the sequence that we found, matches Pfizer's disclosure to the EMA. So uh, we, they did not give, they did not disclose the sequence DNA. They gave them a little pretty picture of a map of their plasmid that they covered up the SC40 region. They hid that from the EMA. But we managed to sequence everything, find all of their details, but also find the SC40 region. So I don't think any uh, you know gremlin could have put that into these vials and, uh, and and produced these results. These things it seems to be legitimate that these are within the vials. The only question is. What is the concentration of the DNA versus the RNA, and how does that vary lot to lot? And we're going to learn that in time. Uh, so I'd say uh, just stay tuned. There's a lot of people replicating this work in various jurisdictions around the world on different lots, and we should have more data in the next six months to give people more insight on how much it varies. Well, we'll definitely be, be following you on Twitter and following your work. Thanks so much for the briefing today, and looking forward to having you back. Wow, folks, that was something else. You might want to go back and listen on... Half the speed. I uh, threw in a lot there. Talk quickly. Um, I apologize. The audio wasn't the greatest. But, you know, the point is not to get all the scientific nuances. You're smart enough to realize that this jives with everything we've seen for three years. There's no quality control. There's no desire for it. Everything that our type of researchers discover and they say is wrong turns out to be true. And the symptomology that we're seeing from the world jives with everything he's saying. And again, they're doing this as they're approving other vaccines at warp speed nonstop. And there is no backstop to this. And that, that leads me to the end of the show. You know, you look, you look at the last couple of weeks. We have this. You would say, well, maybe this is too technical. It's a new issue. God forbid should the low IQ Teletubby loser conservative media ever venture into something like this. You know, it's only all of humanity um, living through it. And, and again, there, there's a lot of important issues I miss. We can't all cover everything. But this is freaking something we lived through the worst two years of our life. And they don't care. The border, you would think, well, okay, but that's something they would understand. Not really. We're, we're like teetering on the border of Greg Abbott starting to do good things, but we need to punch it through. Uh, drop the issue. The debt ceiling. Debt ceiling is teetering, teetering. You know, Chip tells me McCarthy really wants to cut a deal. They're starting to negotiate against themselves rather than saying, we passed the consummate bill to raise the debt ceiling but reform everything. We're the only ones who pass something. You in the Senate need to pass something. Shut up until then. End it. They're starting to get worried. Again, we're in a better position we've ever been, but we could lose it very quickly, as, as at least as of this moment. No firepower there. And then you have in Florida this fight with Disney, which is the Super Bowl. That certainly they understand. Woke, woke, woke. That's all you'll hear. Woke capital. The censorship, the big business... That's all conservative media has been talking about. So you get the Super Bowl of that fight. We've been pining for someone for decades. Oh, why can't they stand up to special interests, their donors, yada, yada. And, and maybe once in a while you get a guy, but he can't get past, you know, backbencher in Congress or something. And here you get a guy that turns Florida red, wins by 20 points re-election, and is now a presidential candidate. And he tells Disney to go to hell, not just on their input on legislation, but now goes after them for grooming people with their actual content. It's like, screw it, I don't care. And then you have Trump and all the Republicans dump on him for chasing away Disney jobs. And by the way, it wasn't true. That project with 2,000 jobs, they were never going to work on it. The CEO himself didn't like it, and they were going to close shop. But they wanted the headline to blame it that, oh, you know, uh, DeSantis' culture war is chasing out jobs. But it's not true. But let's say that were true for a minute. We always say we need to sacrifice. We need to be in a warlike setting to stand for our culture, our way of life. So you're going to have to be willing to sacrifice something. And at the first sign of all, like, you know, they might, you know, cut jobs from a red state. Boom. They, they fly the coop. And this is why we can't have nice things. This is why the Disney fight is so important. You will never get a single state red, much less fix Washington, the federal government, if you are not willing to punch 
through this. That everyone's like, Trump's going to fight the deep state. The deep state at its core is reflected in the big businesses. That's where their power is. You know, they've always had academia, entertainment, the NGOs, where they really turned the corner on the Fourth Reich and started destroying us is when they got business. Because that is something that gets Republicans, and that's how you get consensus. And Trump is all bought into it. Everyone's like, he's going to fight the deep state. He's going to destroy the system. Dude, the guy loves the system. He, I mean, it's not just to own DeSantis. DeSantis says A, he'll say B. He genuinely believes that way. He's impressed by Disney's, like it's a fixture. You know, you can't take them down like that. I, I don't understand people's worship of him. And notice he's been silent on this whole fight against the monkeypox agenda. And I'm telling you, it, it's, it's not just because he's a social liberal. Bruce Jenner and the other people around him have a concerted agenda to make not just the Republicans, but the MAGA movement obsessively accepting of their lifestyle. Which is why they won't touch it. They won't touch things like the bathrooms. Having men in female bathrooms. They will not touch it. And that's why Trump has attacked that issue for years. Not us. Not, 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 not the left, who is putting men in female bathrooms. But our side. Well, I guess Bruce Jenner now, because of the law DeSantis signed, won't be able to uh, use the bathroom, <laughs> use the female bathroom at Mar-a-Lago. By the way, you might have to watch out for a monkeypox outbreak there after their fag fest they held. I mean, it's truly disgusting. I will never surrender to that agenda. But I'm just telling you, that concerns me. That is a big concern. This is one of the biggest civilization killers. We all agree. It is a cancer that needs to be cut out. And it's one of the only issues that we're actually successfully fighting back on because the left is overextended and exposed beyond the Overton window of acceptability, even with this godless society they helped groom. But, but still, like most people, most people especially above a certain age, are like, whoa, 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 that's, that's kind of crazy. And now's the time to step on the gas pedal. And we've now seen a pattern from Mar-a-Lago and that entire orbit that they want to stay away from this. Siding with Disney and conservative media, with very few exceptions, is dead silent on the issue. Again, what that will show is that in order to accommodate one man's low testosterone levels, they will move off the very issues. You know, this issue with COVID, they were never into. But the very issues they claim to care about, it, whether it's immigration, whether it's abortion, whether it's the tranny stuff, suddenly they don't care about it. The worst thing you can do is neuter in opposition, as long as you have a committed, intrepid, unified opposition, it might be minority, but you could always grow and succeed. But if that is compromised and neutered, there's nothing from which to launch a countercultural offensive. I, I, I don't understand. If, if you disagree, Daniel Horowitz at Start Mail is the email. What is the rationale for this guy? I can't understand it. It doesn't mean, you know, there's a couple of people emailed me like, yeah, I'm sorry I voted for him. You don't have to say that, right? You know, you have choices that are given to you at a given time. In 2020, you know, I'm not saying to vote for Biden over Trump. But it's not a general election. We have nine months to Iowa, much less the general election. And I'm not even demanding that all these people come out and endorse DeSantis. I'm just saying... When this guy moves to the left on the issues of our time, just hold him accountable. But they won't, and they also will not promote the successes in Florida. They stopped talking about it. It's shadow banned for a very important reason. But this is what I'm going to be looking at. Who's going to be giving voice 
to the to the war we have with the Rainbow Jihad, calling the play calls on the border, the debt ceiling, and most importantly, not just medical freedom, but the biomedical experimentation state. Stay tuned. We will focus on the issues that matter and the way they matter at the time they matter. Man, there's so much more we left on the table. Sorry the week has gone, but watch for me at RM Conservative on Twitter over the weekend. Um, my columns coming out at conservativereview.com, theblaze.com. Till Monday, hope you have a terrific family-oriented weekend. God bless y'all, and thank you for listening.